This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? I'm doing okay. Yeah, are you are you mimicking me? Yes. Are you doing your best <laughs> Andrew impression? Well, yeah, I am, yes. I am doing okay. Uh, I'm enjoying the fact that it's officially fall and all that that, that brings with it. The, the sweater weather, the fall colors, I'm enjoying getting into the, the cozy atmosphere. It's October 1st as we're recording this, so uh, my wife is officially going full Halloween. She she has the restraint to wait till October 1st. But now, like right when I woke up with my son, my wife called and was like, make sure you put on his spooky shirt so that he can go to daycare with his ghost shirt on. And I was like, all right. <laughs> so he's got his Halloween clothes on already. Not a costume, but, you know, we bought him some spooky stuff. And uh, yeah, that's going to be my life for the next 30 days. How about you? <laughs> that's, we have not gone that route here yet. Um, I have some mums dying at the end of the, my, my road because I can't keep anything alive. That's That's a good spooky start. Yes. Just kill some kill some plants and say, there we go. There's my decorations. Are you gonna get one of those uh like twenty-five foot skeletons from Home Depot? No, I'm not. I have you, have I, you I might those? do some I have not, no. They have uh it's it's a ridiculously big skeleton. I might be underselling it by saying it's twenty-five feet. It is absolutely humongous and it just free stands in your yard. You know, um that brings to mind. I think Sister Bay is doing like a like a whole Halloween decoration thing this year. They've they've done the Christmas lights up really big for several years now, and that's gotten a lot of traction. And they've now, um, Louise Housen and Maluska up there have um, started a process to put a bunch of cool Halloween decorations throughout the town, kind of like the Christmas stuff, just to kind of give some people something to do and look at uh, over the next month since, you know, we're not gathering in big crowds and stuff and maybe trick-or-treating can't even happen i don't, I don't know how that's gonna go this year but yeah they're trying to get a little bit of the spirit going so um maybe that's a, another podcast uh we should have you talk to them about that yeah and might i suggest uh if you're listening pick picking up a couple of those giant skeletons putting them on the roof of the bowl and stuff i think that that would really add <laughs> to the uh, to the ambiance. that would be uh, cool we have a couple of things to talk about, uh, a couple of interesting stories. Uh, before we jump into just general news, I just want to talk a little bit about COVID. Uh, if you listened to the podcast episode yesterday, Miles, you talked to Dr. Jim Heiss and you went over a bunch of stuff. Uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, I would definitely recommend it. Uh, what are some of the things real quick that you guys go over? Just uh, We talk a lot about the kind of setting a baseline for where we are now and what we know about COVID, what's happening on the ground here in Door County and at Door County Medical Center. And um, Dr. Dr. Heist did a great job of outlining a lot of the steps people need to be taking, where where they can, uh, how, how they can live their life best and while still being safe. And it's actually not that hard. Um, right. And then also how like the, the Brown County Fox Valley, the stresses on the medical system there, how that relates to Door County and how it can end up impacting our care here. So it's a it's a good one to listen to if you're just kind of wondering why we should care about those hospitals down there, um, and a lot of other details we walk through what they what they've learned about the virus in general, how to treat it, um, and and how to keep people safe in Door County. Right. One of the things that you that you two didn't have time to talk about was uh, how public health is contact tracing, or rather, how they're not contact tracing right now. Uh, Sue Powers put out a uh, press release that outlined that they are they're still calling people who have 
uh, positive test results, uh, but they are not contact tracing to the people who they may have been in contact with at this point. So up until now, if you weren't aware, uh, if you got a positive COVID test, public health would call you and let you know uh, what to do, how to quarantine, that kind of stuff. But then they would also gather a list of people that you've been in close contact with, and they would call those people and urge them to quarantine uh, or get a test later on after their quarantine period is over. Um, that is no longer happening. Miles, do you do you know why they have pivoted away from contact tracing right now? Um, uh, well, what they would say is it's it's not so much that they're not contact tracing, it's that they're changing the way that they are doing it. And essentially by changing the way they're doing it is to ask the people to contact trace for themselves to some degree. So um, it's putting the onus on the individual. Like if you test positive, you are being asked to call your close contacts and notify them. And you're being asked to call your employer and notify them. And the reason simply is just a manpower issue. Um, Throughout this pandemic, what public health has tried to do is contact every day, reach out to the close contacts of every positive test within 24 hours. And simply when you start getting, when, when we've gotten to the point where we've had a high, I believe, of 35 new positive tests in a single day, they just can't keep up. And then they're they're falling a day, two days, three days behind. And at a certain point, that type of contact tracing starts to lose its impact because you're, you're so far behind that these people have gone about their lives and possibly spread it. So what they're trying to do is have the individual who test positive make those contacts right away. And public health can keep up on that on their own when you're having five, seven, nine positives. But getting to 30, 35, they can't do it. They, she said they did reach out to the state to see if there was any opportunity to get some reinforcement. And the state's just overwhelmed. They don't have the, the manpower or the people to do it. So to me, it goes back to the very early stages of this crisis where people would say and, and officials would tell me, we have the capacity, we're in good shape, we're in good shape. And I would ask the question, I'm like, okay, so you're in good shape now, we're getting five cases. What kind of shape are we in if we suddenly had 20? And the answer would always be, well, that would be that'd be a different story, but that's hypothetical. Well, it's very real now, and and now we see what the result is. Right. And that I think that that's the big thing that I've been echoing over the last couple of weeks is we, we talked so much early on about what we would do if things got to the point that they're at now. And that was, you know, five months ago at this point. And the, I, I guess the fear is that we're, we're in the thick of what we were concerned about. And I, I don't know if those, you know, procedures or those ideas that we had five months ago are, are still around. My, my question with the contact tracing is, is this something that's temporary? And as cases go down, uh, as has public health made any comment about going back to contact tracing or are they are they pivoting the way in which they do this focusing on schools and businesses for the foreseeable future yeah and what they what they're saying is this by not doing that tracing i'm glad you mentioned that that frees up their time to answer the questions and focus on helping the large employers that are grappling with this and the schools as they grapple with this um, and hopefully try to contain it in a different way. Um, they are still trying to find out like, all right, what, where did you get this from? That individual person, like where, where did you have, where are you likely to have pulled this from? And the overwhelming answer is no, it's not tourists. No, it's not bars and restaurants. I'm not trying to say that those are not risk factors because they certainly are nationwide, but in Door County specifically, it is people having private gatherings, large weddings, large reunions without taking precautions. Um, There's kind of two modes on this, like public health as a rule will say, don't have those things. But in general, what Dr. Jim Heiss has said, if you are going to have those things, be smart about it. Yeah. Um, And he he talked about this on the podcast, but 
bears reiterating is like, if you're going to do that, have the masks, have people spaced out. Don't don't do things that encourage people to do un- take unsafe measures. So, yeah, uh, if if you want to have friends over, do a cookout or hang out in your garage with the garage door open, you know, try to be outside or, or keep things ventilated. I know as it gets colder, that's going to be more difficult to do, but we're all sturdy Midwestern folk. Uh, we're used to the cold. Uh, I think that we can hang out and, you know, drink beer or socialize or do whatever uh, six feet apart with masks on in our driveway if we want to. Um, that That is part of the mask mandate, too is you know if you're if you're in your home and you've got people around you who you don't otherwise who aren't part of your household uh, they recommend that you wear masks even you know within your your private residence so it it's i know it feels weird to say that and you know you've hung out with friends and family i've hung out with friends and family we've expanded our social circle a little bit throughout this uh but definitely reconsidering what i'm doing especially you know you and i both have elderly parents postponing some some uh some time with them right now it seems you know it, it seems like the thing to do even you know two months ago when i had my parents up to you know you know what i mean it just i feel like the paradigm has shifted even though the nature of the pandemic has not right i guess one other thing is that that has changed is they had have have had a couple more hospitalizations after going a long time without having hospitalizations here in door county um and so there is concern among the health professionals um throughout the state the, we're now at over 80% capacity for our hospital beds. Um, Brown County area, Fox Valley area, they are at, they're down to like percent of beds available from what Dr. Heiss had just told me. And that that's a breaking point for those hospitals because that's a lot of work on their staff. So far, that level hasn't spilled to Door County, but it does mean that Door County will not have places to send patients if those hospitals are full. Right. And I guess, I guess the last thing that I want to say on this before we move on is I, I totally understand the the lack of of people to be contact tracing. I totally understand being overwhelmed by the numbers because the numbers have gone up dramatically since the beginning of September. I, I totally understand that. And I think that pivoting to helping businesses figure this out and helping schools figure this out, I totally think that all of that is valid. The only thing that I'm concerned about is situations where, say... I have a friend who tested positive, uh, or not who tested positive, but they were contact traced by public health because they had been in close contact with somebody who did test positive. The person who tested positive never reached out to this person to let them know that they tested positive and were in close contact with each other. The only contact that they had was from public health, uh, and then they were able to quarantine and go on like that. I'm sure that that's the case for a ton of cases. I'm sure that, that many people who test positive do have the due diligence to call people and say, hey... We just hang out. We just hung out last weekend. I just tested positive. You might want to quarantine or go get a test yourself. You know, be on the lookout for symptoms. I'm sure that that happens quite a bit. But there are definitely cases where the only time that you know that you've been in contact with somebody who tested positive is through contact tracing from public health. And even if that takes 48 hours to happen, it, at least it happens. That you might have somebody who's been exposed who might be walking around with you know, not having symptoms, but, but having the virus, you might have that for 24 or 48 hours, but then they know compared to, you know, three, four, five days, seven days until symptoms set in if they ever do. So I guess that that's my final concern on this. And and again, I totally understand where public health is coming from. And I appreciate the pivot to helping businesses and schools as, you know, cases continue to pile up in those areas. Uh, But I guess my concern would be stopping contact tracing altogether, uh, I, I worry about that as a solution to this long term. I don't think uh, even Sue Powers, the public health manager, I don't think she would call it a solution. It's 
more a reality. They're just, right. there's just too much and you have to go, all right, where are we going to be? How is our time going to be most valuable? And then you're also getting into a season that normally would be a busy season for public health as schools return, as flu season picks up, they have flu clinics coming up in a couple of weeks. And that normally is a big part of the year for that department is just get people their regular flu shots. Um, and so you just have a lot of things hitting at once, which is what they have warned about for a long time and what anybody in the medical community has warned about for a long time. And now we're here. And because we got a little loose with things, that's that's the crunch. Um, right. One thing I will uh, mention, I can't remember if I mentioned this on the podcast last week, but uh, I had a reader reach out with a good question. As cases were going out, going up, they had asked, where are college students being recorded? Where are their positive tests being recorded? So if you are a Door County kid who graduated from, say, Sevastopol, and you just went to Madison, and you ended up going to a party and you got a positive COVID test, is that recorded in Madison? Or is that recorded in Door County? And I think the question probably arises to some extent from thinking, I wonder if our numbers are inflated by those college kids getting reported here. That is not the case. That those A positive test for a college student who is at Madison or Purdue or Chicago, it is recorded where they are because that's considered their residence at that point. When you go to college, when you're in the dorm, that is then your residence. So right. our numbers are not impacted by college kids elsewhere all over the country being reported back at their parents' address. So I just wanted to make sure. Uh, it was a good question. Um, somebody asked me that and I... I hadn't thought of it. So I had a hunch of where it was going to go, but I, I didn't know that for sure. And Sue Powers clarified that for me. So, right. Yeah. That's an interesting twist on a question that we had early on, which was if somebody comes to Door County and tests positive in a Door County hospital, is that a Door County number or is that from their residence? And that would be recorded mm -hmm. at their residence. So interesting right. twist on, on that question from before. Well, uh, like we said in the beginning, listen to yesterday's podcast episode with Dr. Jim Heiss. Uh, Miles and Dr. Jim Heiss go into great detail about where we're at right now. Uh, so with that, why don't we move on to a couple of other news stories? Uh, first one, Miles, you wrote a pretty lengthy article about Camp Zion. And uh, you said, hey, have you heard about Camp Zion? And I said, uh, not at all. And uh, <laughs> I think that that's maybe the case for a lot of people. So can you tell me what Camp Zion is? Yeah, I was like you. I'm guessing you had never heard of it at whatsoever. Right. I mean, yeah. maybe I'd heard the name, but I didn't know what it was <laughs> at all. So I hadn't until I was like, I, I think I might have been like mid twenties, and I took a ride down a random road in Ellison Bay on my bike and came up to the end of this road, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is whole. What is this little compound here? Um, and it's up on the end of Door Bluff Road, on the very very near the tip of the peninsula, just borders on Dorbluff Headlands County Park. And it's a, a Christian camp, um, accommodates about maybe 150 people at a time, about 140, I, I think, um, right on the shores. It's actually a beautiful location on, on the bluff that was founded in 1946 from uh, a church in Zion, Illinois, created this as like a summer getaway camp kids. And, you know, it's been operating at varying capacities since then. And there's a dorm building. There's um, they really focus on outdoor recreation and getting out in nature. And they have a little pier there. If you have a boat or a kayak or jet ski up there, you'll you'll see like kind of it's kind of like one of the only not super large piers, but larger dock and pier complexes with a bunch of kayaks up there. Um, really beautiful spot and looks like a, a great place for a, a summer camp for kids. Um, in any case, why it's in the news now 
is because they're they're looking to expand. And if you know Allison Bay, you know that's a sleepy part of the county. So any sort of expansion or traffic up there is seen much like putting a four lane highway in somewhere else. Huh. That that's interesting because I don't I don't know of any like really big proposals that you and I have talked about over the last couple of years up in Ellison Bay. Are there any that just aren't coming to mind that you can think of? No, there's um, there's nothing. Yeah, nothing I can think of except for the fact that like over the years there has been there was talk once of expanding the marina in the middle of Ellison Bay, the public marina, and there was talk of building a large like hundred slip marina and condo complex up in Gills Rock at one point at the Weeborg dock that was eventually bought by the town of Liberty Grove. Um, those were both met with a lot of resistance, basically by people in Ellison Bay. I mean, if you if you talk to them, most of them will say, we don't want to be Sister Bay. Uh, we don't want to be busy like that. We want business, but we don't want overwhelming business. And if you haven't taken a drive up there in a long time, um, Ellison Bay and Gills Rock are very much like what Egg Harbor was up until like the early 80s. Um, very low development, a lot of, lot of farm fields and open space. Um, m- m- much, many fewer of the McMansions dotting the landscape. So it's kind of the last bastion of kind of the old version of Northern Door County. And those people that live up there, they move up there for that purpose because they want to hold on to that version of Door County. Um, right. So Camp Zion, what they're looking to do is they have an old dining hall. Um, and I went up there and took a walk around the property with Dale Stewart, who is the camp director. And it is an old cramped dining hall where they technically can put about 90 people in there at a time, but I would uh, not want to be in there when there's 90 people in there. I mean, it is a really tight space and sure. they're looking to build a much larger dining hall for what, what Dale said is so everybody can dine together. All the campers at once dine in one spot, which he said is integral to what they try to do at, at the camp. And and this is a problem. This is a problem <laughs> for for what reason? Why why did you why did you write a full page on this miles? What is the controversy here? Well, it's it's a big building. What they're looking to build is a a building with a 6,000 square foot footprint, but it's a overall building size is 12,000 square feet. Very large. That's um, about a a third smaller than the condominium complex proposed for Egg Harbor. Um, that was approved recently. And so you can see like a big project like that up in Ellison Bay in an otherwise very quiet area would raise concerns of neighbors. But it's also a really tricky spot because they had proposed to build this on the water side of their property, like up on the bluff, uh, right where all their existing camp facilities are. Back in 2015, um, the neighbors protested against that. um, And eventually they pulled that proposal they were denied, but they, what Dale said is, Dale Stewart said is, um, they were actually glad because ultimately they found a better spot. And what they did in the years, over the last 20 years, as they've been planning this, they built a, a road, a stage for this. So Camp Zion is on a private road that dead ends. And at the end, there's Camp Zion and beyond them up toward the dead end, there's nine more parcels. So it's only accessed by Camp Zion and those nine parcels. And then Camp Zion owns a bunch of property on the other side of that road. And so what they tried to do is build a, they they bought more property. They now own about 30 acres up there. They built a bypass road in hopes of getting those nine parcels to abandon the existing road, private road portion that they use and just access their properties from that other road. Those property owners said no to that, um, mainly because they knew that if they said yes, that would allow them to build this bigger building. Right. So out of spite, they continue to use that road to some extent. And and I say out of spite because some some of those people have told me, yeah, I use it out of spite. Um, okay. <laughs> the 
So if Camp Zion had gotten them to abandon that road, then they could kind of look at their whole part property as one property that would become their road, their driveway, and they wouldn't have to abide by some of the county zoning setbacks. But since that was unsuccessful, they still have to abide by some of the setbacks for building as large as they are proposing. Um, and that presents the problem. They want to build that 12,000 square foot building about 68 feet away from the road. Zoning requires that that be set back 102 feet from the road. They also, the, and sometimes you can get a variance. So that's what they did. They, can, they applied for a variance to build that building closer to the road within that county zoning setback. To get a variance, you need to demonstrate that you can't build this thing in another way, that there is the zoning is presenting a hardship that you can't accommodate in some other manner. So if you, let's say you had a, a tiny lot size and you wanted to encroach on that setback because it was the only way you could do something with that lot, they might approve that variance um, depending on the size of the building and how it fit into the neighborhood and other conditions. In this case, Camp Zion owns 31 acres. There are a lot of different places on the property they own that they could build something, but they want to build it in this particular spot. So the County Board of Adjustment said, we can't approve this just because that's where you want to do it. You'd have to, you don't have a hardship here. Now, it does, when I, you tour the property, that does look like the right spot. If you were looking at the property, you'd say like, yeah, that is a good spot to put it. It also right. allows them, this parcel is on a slope. So putting it there allows them to build a, a ramp. So like the first, from the road, the first story would kind of come up to the road grade. That would be the top of the first story. And then the second story, would be at that road grade. And they could build a bridge there for ADA accessibility to the dining hall without having to go down a hill or create some ramp or drive vehicles to that dining hall. Um, so they're looking at doing this in part because they're saying this is largely due because it's easy handicap accessibility. So you can see where they're coming from in wanting to build it where they're proposing it. But you can see where the county's coming from and saying like, we can't just grant you this because it's more convenient for you. <laughs> so right. what Camp Zion has done is filed suit now in, after they were denied that variance in July, they chose to file suit in federal court and make a federal case out of this. Um, and two things they're looking at. There is possibly looking at saying they were discriminated against as a religious institution. I'm no legal scholar, but I've seen the county say no to all sorts of variances for all sorts of reasons similar to this. So I don't know where you could find that allegation, but also to say like this is suing based on like trying to provide ADA compliance. Um, and that that's going to be the more interesting question is whether it becomes a Americans with Disability Act uh, case. So this might take a while to play out. I thought it was pretty interesting. And that's why I chose to do the story just because of it's a unique property in a unique spot. But then you have neighbors. What they're really concerned about is increased traffic to the area. They worry that Camp Zion is going to expand into a conference center or a wedding venue and start doing a lot more than kids camps and small retreats. Now, has there been has there been any comment from Camp Zion about their future and about expanding in that way? Or is this strictly to, you know, facilitate the children's camp that goes on there? Well, they said what they said is what they're doing is basically to create a dining hall where everyone can dine in one spot. And then on the on the first floor of this building, you would have two conference rooms that would allow more people to gather in a single spot. Right now, I did tour their existing conference room is to call it conference room is when I say that, maybe a lot of people who go to conferences in Door County might think Landmark Resort or Stone Harbor Resort or Crest Pavilion, like that's a bigger conference center. It's nothing okay. like that. It's like a classroom size. So okay. these would be new conference rooms with technology and nicer facilities. I, you look at it, you can say like, yeah, you'd need to upgrade your facilities. Either I, I would want to, if I had, if I was them and could afford it, I would want to upgrade. But right. Um, that 
is part of the rub too, is that goes, okay, so what is your real plan for the rest of this? Now what's next? And Dale Stewart said, I can't say that we wouldn't build anything else, that we wouldn't later want to build another dorm or a residency, but he said that we don't have plans for that now. And even if we did propose that, it would be subject to a conditional use permit so the neighbors would get to weigh in and we'd have to go through a, a diligent process to get that approved. Um, but I, I do think the neighbors' concerns about growth are are real and and, and valid. Um, but on the other hand, Camp Zion was basically the first thing on that road. So it's been there longer than anything else. So sure. you move yeah, there I mean, knowing that this camp was there. That, and I, I, I totally agree that the, the neighbor's concerns are valid, but the other part of it too is, and, and I've heard this adage used before, is that if you're concerned about what your neighbors might build, then you need to buy their property first. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Especially if you're looking for, if you're looking for a retreat, if you're looking for something that doesn't have anything around you, then you might have to buy a couple of lots in the area to, to make sure that you control that destiny for yourself. Because if you just buy one little lot surrounded by a bunch of other lots and nobody's there right now, there's no indication that that's going to continue to be your little sleepy hollow for you know the end of time so, yeah yeah like where yeah, i live I, I live surrounded by orchard and fields and i would love those to stay that way um but i don't have the cash to do that so what i try to do is needle my friends who who might have some resources to buy that land and then let me decide how it's used i don't know if that will fly <laughs> so. yeah that that's a one strategy for sure if you can't buy it, the land around your property get your friends to buy it and then it's like you know it's like having a friend with a boat it's like friends with land here i, I just want right. you to help me out here <laughs> convince them that it'll be a good investment property and that you'll maintain it yeah and i, I, I say that Unless somebody wants to buy it into affordable housing, I'm all for it. Uh, one one other story for this week, uh, kind of similar to this Camp Zion story, but uh, Miles, last year we talked uh, pretty heavily on the podcast about Dollar General proposing a a location up in Sister Bay, and the community came out against that, and uh, it was a pretty controversial uh, couple of weeks there for a little bit, uh, and then Dollar General eventually decided not to pursue that. Well, uh, it looks like they're back, and they are proposing something for Egg Harbor. Yeah, they've come back and uh, what they did with their proposal in Sister Bay, essentially they could not meet the green space requirements without building a very small store. And a place like Dollar General is not interested in a very small postage stamp store. So they never came back with a, a new proposal for Sister Bay. And now they've shown up on the radar in the town of Egg Harbor. Very important to distinguish. We're talking township of Egg Harbor versus the village of Egg Harbor governed separately. One's a village, one's a town, different rules, different leadership, different zoning. Um, and it's very confusing. And it's something that I've am still confused about, because when you think village, you think, you know, you think more open land, you don't think, you know, a, a, a buildings and stuff. And then when you think town, you think like, you know, the town. So when you go to Egg Harbor, you go downtown. That's the town. But that's not the case. That's the village. The town is the weird surrounding S shape around the village. And yes. uh, I I will always get it wrong. <laughs> and and you are absolutely correct in describing that. It basically is that it's the opposite of what you thought. <laughs> right. um, so the township of Egg Harbor kind of encircles the village of Egg Harbor. Um, so if you remember when Door Artisan Cheese was built across from Wood Orchard Market to the north of the village, that is in the township of Egg Harbor, not the village. So right. that is why Door Artisan Cheese was able to build a really large building in that spot without really a lot of input or 
um, restrictions on what they wanted to do because the township doesn't have, they don't even follow county zoning. They do have some building permit and they do have some rules about lot sizes and things like that, but they don't have the in-depth zoning rules and regulations that so many other villages have and even so many towns have. So November 6th, there will be a public hearing for a Dollar General store proposed there. Um, I grew up in the town of Egg Harbor and my dad sits on the board on the town of Egg Harbor. So that's full disclosure there. Um, but where, what they've been able to find is a lot just south of town on the corner of Hillside Road and Highway 42 near the Egg Harbor Fun Park, where they are seek, seeking to build a 9,000 square foot uh, facility. Um, that would be roughly the size of the Piggly Wiggly pre-expansion, I believe, if I have that right. Um, and yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if there's an outcry against that in Egg Harbor. Um, and if if there would be any sort of restrictions, I tend to think that a developer like this would look at the town, it, it, and it is the same developers um, as the ones in Sister Bay. If you look at Door County and you're looking to do something that most people would say maybe doesn't fit or that might be shot down in another community, the township of Egg Harbor is so much looser. So if you drive through that township, you're basically talking um, like Carlsville North-ish. Um, if you drive along the highway, you're going to see more billboards. You're going to see a lot more storage units. Um, you're going to see different structures than you might see in other parts of Northern Door County. And now you're likely to end up seeing a Dollar General. And it might be even the gas station in Carlsville where they have a Little Caesars there. Like that probably doesn't fly in other communities. So right. Egg Harbor's just looser in, in all those ways. This is, I, I'm looking at the map and this is a, of just a weird spot for some of this because like you could argue that like around Egg Harbor would be weird too because there's really no room in the village of Egg Harbor for something like this to happen. The spot that was proposed earlier for Sister Bay seemed like a good idea in theory. Like it, whether you're for or against the Dollar General being built there, that's a decent spot for one, you know, just in terms of what else is around. Uh, but this location is, is very strange strange it, it i don't know what the draw is here because like the distance between egg harbor and this proposed area is it's a little bit out of the way maybe five five minutes or so south of town but i don't know who's being drawn to that i mean i guess maybe that's a good place to stop if you're coming from fish creek or sister bay you don't have to go all the way down to sturgeon but i don't know it's just a really strange spot i i struggle to imagine driving by a big dollar general right there yeah it's 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 hard to imagine that being, I mean, in, and I've said this on the podcast, so I don't, I don't think I'm opining too much here. Like downtown core development is the way to go. That's smarter development. The last thing we want in a rural area is to sprawl into all these rural, rural areas with your, with your economic development. Um, right. I think any study of economic development would tell you that. Um, so from that standpoint, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not walkable in any way. So it's entirely a drive to um, location and destination right. there. Um, I mean, it it fits with the surrounding area in the sense that, you know, you do have the, the fun park, you have a bunch of storage units. Um, it's going to be hard to, because of the precedent Egg Harbor has in that area, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of architectural standards they can put on it because you have a couple of other just steel pole buildings all over that area. Um, so I don't, I haven't seen an architectural render, like a artist rendering of what this property would look like. Um, they tend to try and build them as cheaply and and cookie cutter as they can. So I they they've probably found the good test case. It, it was either there or Naswapi where you could probably get away with the most. Yeah, you could probably build a couple of them down there. That is one concern with 
with these kind of things is once you once one is built, you know, like gas stations, they tend to attract other gas stations. Um, I'm not knocking gas stations. I'm just saying that's like a subway attracts a Jimmy John's, a Starbucks attracts a Panera. You know, there's like that's where chains go. They just follow each other. And that is, you know, you know, if a Walgreens moves into a town, you can bet a CVS is going to move in shortly thereafter. And that's what happened in Sturgeon Bay. So you do wonder like, all right, who's going to piggyback off this if it's successful? On the flip side, like a lot of times dollar stores go in these boom and bust cycles where a bunch of them are built, then a bunch of them close down and a bunch of them are built and a bunch close down. And that's because they're very cheap and easy to build. So I don't know. This, uh, this is a month from now is when the public hearing is. So I got a feeling we're going to see people fired up on social media shortly after this episode goes out. Uh, and I guess we'll, we'll we'll follow this as it goes on. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if this has anywhere near the amount of public outcry that the one up in Sister Bay did. Yeah, that, it's going to be very interesting to see that. Uh, the township of Egg Harbor and the populace there is very different than the village of Sister Bay in many ways. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if, you know, they, they very well may view this as a very good thing, whereas people in Sister Bay showed up and said overwhelmingly that they did not want to see that. So right. um, different different town, different governance, different um, approval requirements, different process. So we'll see. It'll be pretty interesting to watch. Yeah, we'll, we'll continue to, to watch this as it goes on. Miles, is there anything else for this week that people need to know before we wrap up? I think we covered everything that uh, my voice can carry on right now. Uh, if you're if you're looking for you know a look at some of the the lighter things that are going on, some of the socially distanced events or virtual events or things you can do at home, I always recommend checking out the Pulse Weekly Show on Facebook or YouTube. We do a weekly video show and kind of round up some of the fun things that are going on. Um, outside of that. Uh, I think that that's kind of everything that's been going on so far. Uh, we'll we'll jump into more like fall fun news later on, I suppose. But uh, again, if you haven't listened to the podcast yesterday with Dr. Jim Heiss, kind of going over where we are with COVID-19 right now, I definitely recommend that. Uh, and and with that, uh, what, Miles, is I there got, anything else that you have? I got one more for you. Um, right, this, this week in The Pulse, the 8142 review, um, including the HAL Prize, is coming out a little bit later than usual. Um, that is our annual literature and photography contest. Um, normally that comes out at the end of July, beginning of August, but due to the, all the circumstances around COVID-19, we had to push that back and kind of refigure how we could afford to put this thing together. And we figured it out. It's inserted in this week's Pulse. There's a lot of great original writing and photography from locals and visitors and around the country uh, are all in there. We have a great group of judges uh, who contributed to sorting through tons of submissions. Um, We'll probably do a a podcast specifically about that issue um, and how it comes together and some of the the things to read in that. But take a look this week. When you get the Pulse, open it up. You're going to find a whole section just full of original writing and photography. Um, So I encourage you to check it out, sit down, and read the paper. Great. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Miles, thank you so much for chatting with me, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.